Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you this morning, especially since I didn't get to see you last Sunday, although I saw your username, saw your comments and stuff. And so, again, thank you for joining us online last week and and being here this morning. This morning is... um, the first Sunday in person in 2022, so happy new year to you in person. And we're doing something different this morning, which should keep Laura in line. We are recording our service, uh, which we will post later for those who weren't able to join us. And so for those of you online, good morning, and thank you for watching online, which is a weird thing to say uh, in person, but we'll get used to it. This morning is a little bit different, again, because uh, the lights are on, which means something special is happening. So I'm going to get Chris to come up and help me pass something out, and you can, you can get somebody else to help you too. You're going to get a handout, <clears throat> which uh, I previewed last Sunday. You can always go uh, to our website this year, newgarden.church slash 2022. And like I said, every Sunday when we uh, post the videos, they will be live. And then any slides we'll post and any handouts we'll post as well or any additional links or blogs or videos or anything, you can go to the website and download those. So this morning you're going to get one of these, which we're going to follow along with. Um, I had hoped to give this to you last week so you could take it home and spend a week looking at it and reading it over. But we're just going to have kind of a more of a classroom environment. So I expect you to, to speak out this morning, especially with masks on so we can hear each other, um, but no pressure. So let me start by showing you something. Uh, did, it, did it snow at anybody else's house this week? Yeah, Thursday? Yeah, okay. So Thursday, Friday, there was snow at our house, and so I spent a lot of time building this, which some of you probably saw on Facebook. Um, we built the snowman, early first, and then we were like, well, he needs a house, or at least a castle for Evie to uh, rule from. And so while the kids were distracted doing other things, um, I spent time building this three-level snow castle, which as of this morning is just barely still there. Um, The the rain just destroyed it. Um, But the whole time, I'm building it. I'm, I'm, you know, doing my best. I'm trying to create something. I'm taking the, the elements that are there that at, at this point is just snow, right? It's like there's, it's just, it's a blank canvas and um, cold, unruly, but I'm trying to build something good that my kids can have fun with, play with, get out of this, you know, the cold wind and, and be in there. And the whole time I'm, you know, as I'm making it, I'm filling up this bucket with snow and then packing it down. And sometimes I turn the bucket over and it won't, the, the snow won't come out. Or sometimes it comes out and it just like falls apart. And I'm like, well, that's not good. But then sometimes I turn it over and I pull it up and it's just like perfect square, right? I mean, it's smooth. It's like partially wet. It's holding together. And I'm like, that 
is good. And so I build the first level. I make the second level. It's holding together. Later we go back, we put the third level, and I, I step back and I look at it, and I'm like, this is very good. You know, I'm very proud. I'm thinking this is going to last for like a week against the sun. I didn't account for the rain. Um, but there's still something missing from this creation, right? The whole purpose of the reason I built this wasn't just for personal pride or to show off to my neighbors, but it needs inhabitants. And so when I insert my children into the picture, then things are very good indeed. And, and also, while I'm building it, I'm thinking, I'm putting all this work, and I know they're just going to mess it up, right? Like, I'm, I'm smoothing out the sides. I've got a, a knife from the kitchen, like, shaving corners off and, like, fitting pieces together just right. And still in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, it's not going to last. Like, in, I have this picture of what it could be, you know? We could, we could put a window in here. and We could do all this cool stuff. But I know that you guys, you're just, you're not going to take care of it the way I want you to take care of it. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, Finn sees it, and he's like, oh, this is cool. And I'm like, oh, no, Finn, don't. I'm like, it's together, but you can't kick it, man. And so I'm like trying to put it back together and, and make it good. Um, so that leads us into our, kind of our lesson today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, um, which we looked at last year as we kicked off our series. And Genesis chapter 1 is probably one of the most read chapters in the Bible. You know, if you start on any reading plan through the Bible, usually start, at least make it through chapter one, hopefully. Um, but even though we may be familiar with chapter one, perhaps we need, we're, we're still missing some things. And so what I want to do again this year, we're going to look at different gardens in the Bible. We're going to look at life that God has prepared for us and kind of his vision of what life could be. But before we actually get to the garden, God has to set the stage for this garden that's going to happen in chapter 2. So this morning we're going to just hopefully get through the entire chapter of chapter 1 and, um, and maybe see some new things, hear some new things, um, be challenged by some things, and then walk away with at least a, a fuller picture of who God is. And so last Sunday, if you joined us online, we kicked off with verse 1 through 3. And we looked at verse 1, which says, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Right? Everybody remember that? You guys learned that last week? That's the only verse in Hebrew that I know. And I don't even know what those words really mean. I just listened to it enough, you know, that it's just like stuck in my head. Um, because you read from right to left in Hebrew, which is weird. And then there's all these symbols. They don't have vowels. It's a whole mess. But what we translate it into is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so just to start off, as we look at this, I want to remind us once again, like we did last week, the Bible, it's an ancient text. It's written in a different language, in a different cultural context. And it, it's speaking to a, a world, a, a people who are coming out of Egyptian slavery, um, writing these things down, probably being produced as a whole for the first time, being surrounded by other cultures, Egyptian, Babylonian, Canaanite, and each of these different 
groups have their own creation stories of how the gods or men or whoever it may be created the world and what that means for humans. And so, the, so God, speaking through his people and to his people, shares this story about who he is. And so um, we try to take chapter one and make it fit into kind of our scientific, um, you know, exactly how things happen worldview. And that's not what the original authors had in mind. And so today what I want to do is, again, take a step back and just answer the questions of who is this creator God? Who are we in this story? And what does it have to say to us today? So if you have a piece of paper, you're going to notice it's broken into different blocks. I put the, the days together, and we're going to have to flip the page back and forth to get through the days. But um, we're going to read through the entire chapter, and I want you to listen for repeated words, repeated phrases, um, words that connect with other words and other days. And you may notice, if you're not colorblind, some of them are already highlighted and, and color-coded. And so when we get through it, I'm going to ask, hey, what, what stood out? What repeated? What did you hear? And, um, and then we'll go from there, okay? So it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure today. It's a little scary for me as a preacher, but uh, we'll see what happens. So um, you'll also notice that there are some highlighted, or some highlighted words and then words in parentheses. And so I'm going to probably choose to read the words in parentheses. This is the New American Standard version of the Bible, which does a good job of translating kind of word for word. But still, sometimes they choose certain words that I think make us think things that the original authors didn't have in mind. So, um, so if you hear me say a word that's in the parentheses, that's why. So let's read this uh, or listen to it together. In the beginning, God created the skies, and the land. And the land was formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, the breath, the wind, the ruach of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3, this is day 1. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, day two, this is down below that block, let there be an expanse, or other versions say dome, firmament, or in Hebrew, rakia. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse with the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse skies. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Flip the page for day three. Flip the page over. Verse nine. Then God said... Let the waters below the heavens, the skies, be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land, land. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the land, bearing fruit according to their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. 
And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Flip the page back over. Now we're on the right side, day four. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the skies to separate day from night. And they shall serve as signs and for seasons and for days and years. And they shall serve as lights in the expanse of the skies to give light on the land. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the skies to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem and with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the land against the open face of the expanse of the skies. And God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Flip your page. Day six. This is the long one. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. God made the animals of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind, or human, Adam, in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over all the land, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the land. So God created man, human, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the land. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the land and every tree that has fruit yielding seed and it shall be food for you, and to every animal of the land, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the land which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And we're going to jump over to the left. And so, the skies and the land were completed, and all their heavenly lights or host. God completed on the seventh day his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. All right, so that's Genesis 1. Now you'll notice um, we, we break into chapter 2, and while the 
the people who divided the Bible up somewhere in the 1200s to 1600s tried their best to divide chapters based on kind of stories and where things fit together. Unfortunately, on page one of the Bible, it seems as if they, they should have included this in chapter one, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let me go through this because I didn't, I didn't go through our slides while I was reading through it, but we get to day seven. Now, Day seven, you'll notice we get kind of to the end, and if you've just read through it, you may notice, hey, I feel like I, I heard something similar before. And this is one of the reasons why I think we can pretty much say that the writer wanted this, this to be the end to the first part of the story, because it, it opens up with, in the beginning, God created, bara the skies and the land. And then you get to this very ending after the six days. And so the skies and the land were completed and all their heavenly lights. Now this word, which is translated heavenly lights, is the word host. I don't know why the NASB decided to go with heavenly lights. Because the story is about God creating, like bringing order to the land and to the skies and then filling the skies with creatures and the land with creatures. And so I think host is a better choice because heavenly lights limits it to just what happens in the skies, not all of the things that God brought into order. So, and then we get this, these, uh, these three lines here. So in Hebrew, the first line of the Bible begins with seven words. And in, in the writing of the Bible, there's all kinds of patterns, but seven uh, the word seven and the word complete actually share the same three letters. And so they're very similar. And so seven and completeness or perfection or wholeness are kind of a, 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 a similar idea. And so when you're reading it, you notice the first line is seven words in Hebrew. And then the second uh, part is three lines, which are 14 words or two sets of seven. And then you get to the end of it and you have three lines of seven words. And then at the very end, you get this kind of um, five-word statement that sums it all up. Because he rested from all his work which he had created and made, which takes you all the way back up to the very opening line. And so whatever this writer is doing, it's amazing. You get to the very end and you're like, wait a second. That's exactly what he said in the beginning. And so it just loops you back up at the top. And so there's so much design and pattern happening just in this first chapter of the Bible. And really, this would have been a great introductory to our long story short series last year because the first chapter in the Bible is helping us to know how we're supposed to read the rest of the Bible, to listen for repeated words, to listen for... A, parallel lines that are supposed to connect to one another. So what the, the authors are doing, they're presenting things before us that is meditation literature that we're supposed to just sit on and look at and dive deep down and dig and see all the things that, that is trying to be said to us. So when you, when you take this into account, what you can do is you'll notice, and this may be a little bit small, especially for the people in the back, but you've got a summary prologue. So that in the beginning, God created the skies and the land. So a summary of what is, is has happened before it happens. Then you've got the summary epilogue, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus were finished the skies and the land and all their hosts. 
And then you have this three lines of this exposition of the prologue of what is, what has, like what's actually going on. The land is wild and waste. There's darkness over the surface of the, the waters, the deep abyss. And then you have a three-line exposition in the epilogue. So you've got three lines, three lines. You've got uh, the skies and the land. You've got the skies and the land. And sandwiched in between are these six days. And so, again, when we dive into um, Genesis chapter 1 and we're trying to figure out exactly the scientific method that God used to create the world, that's not, that's not exactly the, what the author is trying to get across to us. What the author is trying to get across to us is a message of who this God is. And so when you line up these days, days one and four, days two and five, days three and six, start connecting with each other. And so before we get into it, let me just ask, what are some repeated phrases or words or, or things that caught your eye that stood out? What is it? It was good. Yeah, God saw that it was good. Do you know how many times it says, and God saw that it was good? Seven. Seven times. Now, you'll notice, day two does not include an it was good. But then day three includes two. And people have always wondered, why does day two not have a, and it was good? And, um, and there's a writer, John Selhammer, who presents this, and I think it's a valid point. It seems as if the whole purpose of creation is to, like me, creating a place for my kids, is God is trying to create a, a habitable, habitable place for humanity, a good place where humans can thrive. And so in the opening uh, lines, you find that the land is unordered and uninhabited. It's a wilderness. Think desert. Okay? Is a desert a good place for humans to live? No, not really. And at the same time, there's darkness. Do humans thrive in the darkness? No, not really. We don't like the dark. You know, there's scary things in the dark. We're people of the light. Now, electricity has helped us in this and that now we have, you know, flashlights and lights at night. But normally, you know, two, 200 years ago, the lights go out you go to bed. You know, that's just what you do. You wait for the sun to come up. And you have darkness, and it's over the surface of the deep, which we talked about last week. This is the word tahome, which resembles the chaotic waters um, that are a threat to humanity. You do not want to go out into the chaotic water. It's the ocean. So is the middle of the ocean a place where humans can live and thrive? No, right? So you've got desert, darkness, chaotic waters. And the picture of is, is this unordered, uninhabited place where God starts speaking good things into. And so day one, you have God confronting the obstacle of darkness by simply saying, let there be light. And there is light. Now, is light good for humans? Yes. And so God saw the light and it was good. It's like, hey, this is a, a net you know, positive for humanity. But then you get to day two, and God creates this dome, or this like, it's, it's like this firmament, like we use that word every day. 
and it separates the waters below from, apparently there are waters above this rock, this rakia, this expanse, which if you go out and you look, I mean, it's blue. Sometimes water comes down from there, and so there's this idea of, okay, there's water that's above us, and there's water below us, but still, can we live in the waters below us? No? Can we live in the rock, the expanse of the sky above us? No? That's not, that's not a net positive for humanity. And so in that case, it seems like it's, it, there, it misses the, and God saw that it was good, because it doesn't affect us as humans. But then in the rest of the chapter, the rest of the chapter, you find God creating dry land. That's good for us. You find fruits and vegetation. Man, that's good for us. You find livestock and animals. That's good for us. You find humans. That's, that's good for us. And so, um, and so that seems to be the sense. And again, that, it gives us an idea of what God is doing and the reason why God is doing it. It is for the benefit of humanity, to create a good, safe, habitable place for humanity to live. Great observation, Andy. All right, what what else? What else do you see? Any other repetition? God said. Yeah, that's... uh, that occurs 10 times, um, which is, is a similar number to seven because it's like the 10 words of creation seem to mirror the 10 words of the 10 commandments. But God said, it's not God thought. It's not God even yelled necessarily. It's just God speaking. There's an obstacle for the humans, darkness. God said, let there be light. There's an obstacle of the chaotic waters. God said, let dry land appear. And so you have this, this God, which we're going to talk about at the very end, is kind of my point, who is just inviting creation to be what it can be. Um, and what he says is, let there be light. And over and over, let, let the land produce. Let dry ground appear. Um, which again, it, I think it's like a parent. We can choose how we talk to our children there is a command, go clean your room. You know, that's, that's direct. It's telling you what to do. And then there's a softer version of, hey, would you clean your room or will you? Or, um, and it, it just, it takes the edge off and shows maybe a more gentle side, um, but still a, a side that's in charge. Okay, what else? The earth. The earth, yeah. Yeah, earth or dry land. Um, so again, the reason I like land better than earth is because of our knowledge of our solar system. When I think of the word earth, I picture our planet, you know, with Mars and Venus and Jupiter and all these flying around the sun and in, in this orbit. And that's what I think of when I think of earth. But again, you, you go back to people in biblical times, their conception of earth is just, this is what is down here. And throughout the rest of the Bible, this Hebrew word Eretz, is, it's just, it's the land. Um, it's the, it's, what, it's what's promised to Abraham, you know. Um, but yeah, again, the focus on this place that we inhabit. 
Okay, so let's, uh, let's look at days one and four. So days one, you've got God saying, let there be light. God separates light from darkness. He calls the light day. The darkness he calls night. And then in day four, or day one, he, he, he sets the like, time into motion. And then day four, he says, let there be lights. Or you could also translate it, let the lights be for the, this purpose. And so it could be, again, if you're trying to figure out when all this was created, perhaps the stars and the sun and everything was created in day one. And then day four, they're given purpose of why they are there. Um, because, again, if, if you're like, well, the, everything, all the sun and stuff is created on day four, where does the light come from? And, again, we're not talking science today. It doesn't matter. But here's the purpose of them. Let the lights be for separating the day and the night. They're going to serve as signs for seasons and for days and for years. So how do you know when you're supposed to um, celebrate Sabbath or Passover or uh, all these holidays well, the sun and the stars will tell us when exactly we're supposed to set the time for these festivals. And are festivals going to be important to the Hebrew people later on in the story? Absolutely, they are. Um, and so God creates this space and then he fills the space. And he actually gives the, the, day, the lights governness, like rule over the light and over the day. So that's, we may get into that in a minute. Day two you have God creating this expanse. So you've got waters below and the waters like above what we would call maybe the atmosphere, you know, this blue dome that's above us. And then in day five, God fills this space. The waters below, let them swarm with swarmers. And the, the expanse above, let them swarm with flying creatures. And so God creates a space and day five, he fills the space. Day three, really small, um, he creates, he, he calls dry land into appearance and, and asks the earth to pr produce vegetation. And then day six, this dry land comes into the picture because now animals are coming onto the land and he creates humanity in his own image, which we'll probably spend a whole week on. And so when you line these up, again, you find at the very beginning, the land, it's wild and waste. It's unordered and uninhabited. And so God spends days one, two, and three, bringing order, bringing a place where humanity can thrive. And then in days four, five, and six, God brings um, inhabitants into that space. And so you have this, these parallel structures. And so again, what this allows us to do is start looking at these days together and how they play off of one another, um, which will set us up for the rest of the, the Bible. And then you get to the very end, and so we're completed, the skies and the land, and all of their inhabitants. So what Genesis 1 reveals, I think, <clears throat> is this. It reveals God's divine essence and character. Love that generates life. One thing, one question we ask so often is, what, what does Genesis 1 say? And sometimes what we miss is, what does Genesis 1 not say? So in the ancient Near Eastern um, area, again, you've got Egyptian cosmology of how the world came into being. You've got Babylonian cosmology, how the world came into being. You've got Canaanite, Sumerian. You've got all these different cultures who have their own creation story. Um, 
And they all seem to have similar things to what this creation story has as well. Typically, you have uh, chaotic waters from the very beginning. And in Egyptian narrative, you've got Atum, who rises up out of the waters and becomes God. And then Atum starts creating other gods. And then those gods create different things. And eventually they create humanity to serve the gods. In Babylonian uh, cosmology, you can, you can go read the Enuma Elish. And it tells a story <clears throat> of these two gods um, who, who created all these other gods. Um, but the younger gods decide to take over. And they kill the, the father god. The mother god is very angry. And she, is, she goes on a rampage. So the younger gods choose their strongest like warrior to fight this mother god, Tiamat. And Marduk, who's the Babylonian god that they serve, he takes Tiamat and he, he forces this wind into her throat. She's like this great dragon serpent and her throat opens up and he shoots an arrow down into her and kills her and then rips her, her mouth apart. And half of her body becomes the skies and half of her body becomes the land. And this is like the, the way that the world is created. And so all of these other narratives talk about these violent gods who out of violence and uh, hate and like discord create the world that humanity lives in. And most often humans are like a problem. They're too noisy. They smell. They're here to serve the gods. We want to wipe them out, but we can't because then they can't serve us. And then you get Genesis chapter 1 and you find this God who's, who's not fighting anything. Like darkness is an obstacle, but he doesn't, he, he can overcome darkness by simply speaking, let there be light. The chaotic waters, you know, who the other gods emerge from, God is there before the waters. He is eternal. He is pre-existence. And he, he, he changes the chaotic waters from chaotic waters into what we would just consider like springs and water that can give life simply by his spirit hovering over the waters. And so he doesn't, he doesn't bring chaos, he brings peace and shalom just by his presence. And why does he do this? Well, I think it's a lot of the reasons why I built this snow castle for my kids, because I love my kids. And this love, it generates life and flourishing and a, a place to live. And so what Genesis 1 does is it depicts God as this royal artist summoning creation to be what it's capable of being. Um, like Josh mentioned earlier, God just says it. And what does he say? He says, you know, let. It's an invitation. It's not like a forceful command of you will do this. It's an invitation. And for so many people, they have this picture of the, this God who is the commanding God. You know, you will follow my ways. You will love me. You will or else, blah, you know, whatever it may be. But as you read through Scripture, it's a God who is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know, yes, there is a sense of justice to those who do wrong, but uh, an extension of compassion to a thousand generations. And then you, you read through the whole story, 
and you find Jesus, who is this God who was the Word uh, in the beginning. He was with God, he was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And again, Jesus didn't come on the scene kicking down doors and demanding people to serve him. He came and he laid down his life and he served others and he invited people into this kingdom of God. And so Genesis 1, it's, a, it's so many things and we could go on and on and on about all the little different intricate patterns and stuff, but it's a picture of who God is. A, a loving God who has created a world for humans and has invited them into a partnership with him to rule and to reign as he would do it. And so each week we, we come to a table and it's another invitation. You know, it's like a, a step back into the garden where God says, hey, join me, partner with me in this new kingdom, this kingdom of heaven that is breaking into earth. And so we take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we remember all that God has done from, the, from like day one to create this place for us and to be with us. So that's the invitation today. As we go to the table, let us remember this God who loves us and who has called us into love with him. Let me, let me pray for us and we'll go to the table. God, I thank you that you are not a violent, demanding God. And I'm sorry for other people who have, have placed that picture on you. You are powerful. You, you are able to do all kinds of things including destruction, but so often you choose to, to temper that because of your love and kindness. And so God, this morning as we go to the table, help us to remember how you tempered your wrath to us at the cross and how you poured out your love for us at the cross and how we can go about bringing love and life into our world today. And it's through your name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's go to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.